0: Before I get into God's word, I just wanna speak to our church family a moment and to tell you that uh, I I miss preaching with you in the room. Uh, This is the best we can do and we're thankful for the technology, but I can't wait for the day when we gather together again and we open God's word together again and I can look you in the eye and I can uh, see the expressions on your faces and sense your response. Uh, that is indeed much, much better. But for today, I'm honored to be able to open God's word with you and uh, to do so on a, on a slightly different subject. You know, the last few weeks we've been appropriately talking about uh, the virus and the crisis and we've been addressing how do we trust God when times are hard. We've talked about uh, defeating fear and defeating worry and these are all things that are very much in our minds and in our hearts right now. I think that we are all learning in ways that like we never have before how to trust God when we don't have all the answers. So I would urge us to completely do this and continue to love one another and to look for ways that we can love our neighbors and our friends and our, our community. And these will be great days for us. I, I, I'm reminded of one of my favorite movie moments with this. I actually shared this with the staff uh, when this whole thing started uh, to unfold. One of my favorite movie, mo- movie moments is from Apollo 13, and there's this one particular scene when the director of NASA there in the, in the command central room, uh, a guy, he's played by a- a- actor Ed Harris, he overhears one of the other Nassau people talking about how this could be just one of the worst moments ever, the the greatest disaster in Nassau history. And he turns to him and says, with all due respect, sir, I think this will be our finest hour. And that's how I feel about these days that we're having. Not perfect, lots of challenges, but I believe these will be our finest hour as we as a church family serve and minister, as we trust in the Lord, as God does his good work in our life, this, I hope, is indeed our, our finest hour. And of course, in that Nassau, that's, that's a man speaking of, depending on himself and, and self-sufficiency, we're gonna figure this out. Our hope is in the Lord. I think of the psalm that says, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And may that be our purpose and our direction as a church family. We need this so much as a country right now. We need it as a church to apply the promises of God and and to trust him and uh, to, in a sense, say, with all due respect, this will be our finest hour. And so may may God help it to be that. I thought, though, for this week, here we are in the Passion Week of Jesus, Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. I thought that it would be so good for us to get back onto the rhythm of the the Christian calendar and to allow the rhythm of celebration to do for us what it's done for Christians for centuries, which is to remind us of what exactly God has done. We celebrate the incarnation at Christmas. We celebrate uh, his death on Good Friday. We celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, we celebrate a very special moment in Jesus' life. You know, there was great confusion in Jesus' day about who he was. And of course, everybody was talking about Jesus, this young prophet and the miracles he was doing and the teaching he was doing. Everybody was talking about him uh, and, and wondering who he actually was. Now... God the Father knew who he was, and we know this because, of course, he's God, but he, he thundered it over Jesus' baptism, and at the Mount of Transfiguration, he thundered, this is my son, my beloved son, listen to him. The demons knew who Jesus was. Oftentimes, when Jesus would cast them out, they would, they would declare, we know who you are, son of God. So the demons knew who Jesus was, but there was great identity confusion amongst the people. Of course, there were some who disdained him, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then there were others on the other side of the spectrum who admired him deeply, like, for example, Mary Magdalene. But all the while, it seemed like Jesus Purpose was to keep his true identity just out of view. He spoke in parables so only certain people could understand what he was teaching and other people uh, could not. He would perform miracles and he would say to them, Hey, don't tell anybody what I've done. Of course, they would, and then his crowds would only get, would only get bigger. The times that Jesus uh, gave them glimpses of his power, uh, at times they would want to enthrone him right then and declare him king over Israel, but Jesus would walk away, John chapter 6. That is until one particular Sunday, one very special Sunday that we call Palm Sunday, where Jesus made his true identity, particularly his identity as king, known to Israel, only he did it in a way like pretty much everything else in his life, in a a way that we would never expect him to. To do it. And it is to that now that we give our attention here in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. This is Matthew's account of, uh, of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on this very special day. Here's what it says, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Uh, We're kind of jumping in in chapter 21, but if you were to read through Matthew, you would know that this this is a crescendo that he's been building to for some time. Uh, we, we know, for example, in Matthew 16 that Jesus just blatantly told his disciples uh, that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and to be killed and on the third day to be raised. Like he just told the disciples that and we know from, from uh, other gospels that they just didn't understand it. They didn't, they didn't get what he was, what he was saying. But what we derive from this is that Jesus was not a victim of circumstances. It's not like there was a, a sudden thing that just overwhelmed him and he was, uh, you know, caught up in it and, and somehow was a victim of it. No, from the beginning, Jesus knew that he had to go to Jerusalem. Another passage says that he set his face to Jerusalem. And this whole journey from Galilee to Jerusalem was by his intent knowing what awaited him there. So as he journeys through Jericho and as he gets on that long upward road from the Dead Sea all the way up to Jerusalem, he knows what is facing him. And so to make preparations for this, it says that he sends two of his disciples ahead uh, to secure a donkey and her young foal. Now, what Matthew oftentimes does, if you read through Matthew, is he tells what happened, and then he connects it to prophecy in the Old Testament. Matthew is writing largely to a Jewish audience to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah, and we find Matthew doing that here in a most interesting uh, fulfillment of prophecy uh, in, in, look at verse four. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now this is a a kind of combo prophecy quotation from Isaiah 62, but most of it is from Zechariah 9, verse 9. But hear this, your king is coming to you. What could be more exciting than to hear that the king is coming? The king returns. Zechariah 9 goes on to describe the power and the glory of this king that is coming. Here's the quote from Zechariah 9. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now this is an astonishing prophecy regarding the power and the, the scope of this king's reign. It says that it's gonna be from sea to sea. What king in all of history has ever ruled the entire world? Did Alexander the Great? No. Did David or Solomon? No. Not Rome? Not Charlemagne? Not Napoleon? Not the British Empire? No king in all of human history has ruled the entire world earth. And yet Zechariah prophesies that there's a king who's coming, and his reign will be so great in scope, it will be from sea to shining sea. And that king, he is coming. He is coming to you. But note how he comes. And here now is the shocking nature of this prophecy. How does he come? Well, you would think that Uh, you know, like any other king, that he would come in a manner befitting his greatness— Right, so when kings come into the capital, they come in great splendor and a great parade and a great sort of display of power. We know, for example, the emperors of Rome, after they would have some conquering victory, they would come back into the city of Rome and they would, uh, they would have with them the, the conquered and the, the king that they had conquered and there would be the armies and the display of all their military might, this great parade of power. Maybe the closest thing we have to think about in terms of royalty is uh, the Queen of England or the, the, the British fam the royal family in, in Britain. How do they travel around? Well, especially in times of uh, like uh, pomp and circumstance, they have a gilded chariot and they have beautiful horses and there's mounted steeds in front and, and behind them and they, they come in a way that you couldn't miss the fact that somebody really important is coming now into the city because look at how they come. At the very least, think of our own president and the symbols of power by which uh, he travels. So you have Air Force One and you have uh, the, 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 the presidential limousine, and you have the Secret Service, and you have F-15 fighters on both wings of, the, of uh, Air Force One, and a whole host of other indications that wherever the President of the United States goes, here goes the most powerful person on the planet. All of this is intended to indicate, I am really important, I'm here, To rule over you. But Jesus comes into the city in a very different way. He's not on some white stallion, he's on a donkey. And note that Matthew Matthew says here that there were actually two donkeys there was the mama donkey and there was the foal. So at very least, Jesus, go on the the bigger of the two donkeys. I mean, at least it's a little bit symbolic of your greatness. No, he doesn't even go on the mommy donkey. He comes in on the colt, on the baby donkey. Jesus rides the colt. Now we ask the question, why would he come in this way? Well, he comes in this way as a demonstration of the character of his kingdom. You know, man's kingdom is about power and might, about uh, displays of wealth, and, but not Jesus. Jesus' kingdom is fundamentally different than the kingdoms of this world. He comes in and presents himself as the king of Israel, riding a newborn full of a donkey. Look at Matthew 21, verse 5, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and humble and mounted on a donkey. I mean, get this friends, you realize for the greatness of that Jesus, of of his kingship, how the opposite of that is how he's coming in to Jerusalem. This is the equivalent of of the new president of the United States on Inauguration Day riding into Washington, D.C. on a moped. You go, wait, that doesn't seem right. But Jesus here now, intentionally choosing the mode of transportation, he wanted to fulfill prophecy, and he wanted people who had, who were looking at his life and ministry through prophetic eyes to realize just who he actually is. So here now we have the coronation. Look at verse 7. What a scene, I wish I could see the video of this moment because you gotta realize what's going on here. This, is, this isn't just any Sunday of the year, this is Passover week, which in the Jewish calendar was the, was the highlight of the entire religious uh, celebration calendar, the biggest feast, the biggest holiday of the year. There are estimates that say that up to nearly two million people would be in Jerusalem and in the surrounding suburbs just to be a part of this celebration. And many of them would have been Galilean pilgrims. Remember, where, where did Jesus grow up and where was the vast majority of his ministry done? In Galilee. Many of them are Galilee pilgrims. They walked the same road. They knew about Jesus. Maybe Many of them had perhaps heard him teach and maybe even seen a miracle that Jesus had done. John adds something very interesting that's going on here in chapter John 12. The crowd that had been with him when he, get, when, he, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. What is happening as Jesus comes into Jerusalem is you have two massive crowds that are converging at the same time. The first crowd are all of those who are staying outside of Jerusalem. Again, a huge number of people. They're all coming into Jerusalem for the festival to be a part of it. And that crowd, all those pilgrims now, Words getting out. Hey, Jesus is coming in. Oh, where is he? I want to see him. And just masses of people uh, are, are looking for Jesus and are gathering around him as he rides. But then you have this other group of people. And the other group of people are all the people that are inside of Jerusalem. And again, this is a huge number, especially this week. And something interesting to think about the ministry of Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, the vast majority of his ministry, his teaching, his miracles were done in Galilee, up north. If you were from Jerusalem, you view, you view the people of Galilee, these are, the, these are the hicks, okay? These are the rednecks. These are the people that, what they say, you know, they're not nearly as sophisticated as we are here in Jerusalem. So to hear about some miracle that they claim that some guy did, it's very questionable. I, I, I really doubt that it actually happened. That's the perspective of the Jerusalemites. Uh, but what has just happened uh, in, in the Gospel? Well, Jesus has just performed one of his greatest miracles, not up in Hicksville, He's done it in Bethany. Lazarus was from Bethany. What's Bethany? Bethany is just like right outside the wall of Jerusalem. It's a it's, you know, kind of like we may talk about the Chicago land area. You know, Bethany is Oak Park. Bethany is 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 right there. And what has Jesus done? He raised Lazarus from the dead. And obviously, word spread like crazy that Jesus had done this not way up north, but right there in Jerusalem. And so there was all of this uh, excitement about, uh, about this miracle right there in the city of Jerusalem. And may it be, if Jesus is coming from Bethany into Jerusalem, that Lazarus himself is walking right there next to the, uh, to the donkey. Because everybody's talking about, here's Lazarus, he was dead. Look, now he is alive. And the energy in this moment is palatable. I mean, think of think of how this would have been. You have the mass of people coming down from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, following Jesus, and then you have this swelling crowd that comes from the city of Jerusalem to meet him. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen just masses of people that are totally thrilled, but think about like, you know, the, the greatest moment in in sports history that you would identify where just everybody is going crazy, or I think about, uh, for example, the, uh, the Cubs parade in downtown Chicago a couple years ago when they world won the World Series, and now I have many of your attention, uh, many of you probably were there. And what did we see as we saw that celebration of the, of the Cubs winning? Total ecstasy, total adulation, total energy, people chanting, people so excited. For what? A group of guys that hit a ball and ran fast. What kind of excitement do you think is generated by somebody who literally raises the dead back to life? This is a whole nother level. This is a whole kind of religious fervor. And and so in Jerusalem, they hear this, this shouting and this noise. Again, this is a time where you didn't have like constant white noise interstate in the background. If there was a loud noise, it just came crashing down into the city. And all of a sudden, Jerusalem is in an uproar. What's going on? What's all this noise? And they say, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's coming into the city. He's the one that raised Lazarus from the dead. And they're like, what? I've got to go see this. And so the, the city just... Uh, empties out and rushes towards the Mount of Olives, meeting at the same time this massive crowd that's coming down the Mount of Olives with Jesus. What did it look like? Well, here's a, just a brief picture, an artist rendition of maybe what that would've looked like from the Mount of Olives, if you can just visualize for a moment uh, the, the hillside just packed with people and, and uh, moving like ants everywhere, rushing to Jesus, something like that. So the people who are traveling into the city, they're starting to get it. The people that are coming out from the city, they're starting to get it as well. And the text tells us that maybe instinctively, the people begin to take this moment as a royal moment, and they begin to treat Jesus with indications of royalty. What do I mean by that? Well, it says here that they took their coats off and they spread them in front of Jesus' donkey. Now, we would say roll out the red carpet, something like that, but in that day, you took off your cloak and you put it down so that every step of that donkey was indicated to be a very, very important person. The text says that they they went into the fields and they cut down branches from trees, palm branches from trees, and they began to put those down in front and to wave those as Jesus came in. And on top of that, and perhaps most significantly, these, uh, these Jews reached back into their minds and hearts, back into the Old Testament, back into the Psalms and they draw from the Psalms a royal song. This is Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, Hosanna. Hosanna literally means God saves or Savior. Make no mistake what these people were shouting as he came in. They were shouting over him, Savior, here is the Savior. What a moment this would have been. I mean, if you just imagine this in your mind for a second, I mean, just the, the, I mean, the hundreds of thousands of people in a kind of religious fervor as they try to get close to Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is not an orderly event. Maybe you've seen videos of this where it seems like, you know, everything, you know, they had weeks of preparation and, you know, ropes and, and security directing things and some people were excited, some people were calm. Get that out of your mind. This was mass chaos, but at the center of the mass chaos is a donkey, and the foal of a donkey, and sitting on the foal of the donkey is Jesus. Now all this leads to the real question, what is the point? Why did Jesus do this? Was this just to display how popular he was? We, we know the Pharisees were chafing in this moment and, and literally said, what good is all of our attempts to stop him? Look, the entire world is falling at his feet. Was that the point? Was Jesus just you know, gonna rub their nose in his popularity? Well, the purpose we actually find in the text. Look at Matthew 21, verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The whole city was stirred, the the Greek word for stirred there, we get our word seismic. The city was like, like an earthquake, the city was rocking and it was rolling, it was shaking. And this didn't happen, you know, quietly for just his followers, sort of like our view of the upper room and the, and the Last Supper. No, this Sunday was an explosion of emotion and fervor and, and publicity and everybody knowing what's going on here and talking and clearly it was intentional. Jesus went there when he did. He sent the disciples ahead to get a donkey and a foal. He didn't sit on the donkey, he sat on the foal. Why did Jesus do this? Well, in the words of one commentator, the ride on a colt, because it was planned, could only be an acted parable, a deliberate act of symbolic self-disclosure for those with eyes to see, or after the resurrection, with memories by which to remember and integrate the events of the preceding weeks and years. Secrecy was being lifted. You know the key to this, uh, this text, and the key to understanding Palm Sunday, is understanding what he was writing when he came in and the prophecy associated with it. You know, if, if, if uh, this afternoon you look up in the sky and here comes Air Force One over Northwest Indiana, what do you think to yourself? Oh look, it's the President of the United States. The ride tells you who it is. And 500 years prior to Palm Sunday, a prophet of God said this, here is how you will know that the great king has arrived. He will come to you riding on a donkey. It was a sign. It's just like what the angels did at, at, uh, uh, when Jesus was born. They said to the, to the shepherds, hey, go into Bethlehem, and when you get there, look for a baby that's lying in a manger. Now, Why would that be an indication that it was this baby? Because nobody puts babies in feeding troughs. And if you ever see a baby in a feeding trough in Bethlehem, then you can know that's the baby that we're talking about. And just like that, the, the prophet says, listen, Israel, here's how you can know when the king is coming. He's going to come like no king ever has come into Jerusalem. And no king would want to come into Jerusalem. He is going to come to you riding on the foal of a donkey. Kings don't ride donkeys. Now, did the people get it? Did the people in Jerusalem that day, did they understand it? Well, not really. Was there excitement? Yes, there was tons of excitement. But listen to their answer when someone asked, who is this? Again, 21 verse 11. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now what's wrong with that answer? Was his name Jesus? Yes. Was he from Nazareth? Yes. Was he a prophet? Yes. All that is true. What's missing? And what is missing in this confession is the same thing that will be forever in hell. There are gonna be billions of people who are going to acknowledge that they missed something about Jesus. They're going to say, I knew Jesus was great, but I didn't know that he was that great. Was Jesus a prophet? Yes, but more than a prophet. Was he a great teacher? Yes, but more than a great teacher. Was he a miracle worker? Yes, but much more than a miracle worker. Who is he? He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And that aspect of a true confession of Jesus was missing in Jerusalem that day. Friends, he didn't ride a donkey to announce to them and to us that he was a prophet. He didn't ride a donkey to announce to them and to us that he was a teacher. He rode a donkey to indicate to them and to us that he was the king. And to show that the kingdom that he is the king of comes in humility. It comes in servanthood. he He came as a savior, as a messiah, so different than the kings of all of history, and for all their excitement, the crowds missed the most important thing that Jesus was telling them. Why, because they realized he was a prophet, but not that he was their king. They realized he was a great teacher, but not that he was their king. They realized that he was a miracle worker. I mean, Lazarus is perhaps walking with them, but they didn't realize he was their king. And how do we know that? Because in a few days, in nearly the same spot, with many of the same people watching, this same Jesus on the foal of a donkey will be nailed to a Roman cross and will be murdered at the hands of the Jewish leaders. That ultimate act of love and humility only hinted at by riding into Jerusalem on a baby donkey. The triumphal entry of Jesus was his final and very public announcement and presentation and in a sense offer of himself to the whole nation right there in the biggest possible spot. He is saying, I am the king. Now, did Jesus know before he did it that all those people waving palm branches and all those people putting their cloaks down and all those people singing psalms over him and all those people coming out of the city and all those people that were shouting, did he know that they wouldn't get it? And of course, he knew they weren't going to get it. But I believe that Jesus did it for the millions of people who after this event weren't even there that day the people that would investigate the life and the ministry of Jesus, and the claims of him being the Son of God, Savior of the world, and Messiah. That even looking back, his disciples on the other side of the resurrection would start to put the dots together, and realize, oh, that's why he rode a donkey, and to connect it to the Old Testament. Oh, oh, he is a descendant of David. He was born in Bethlehem where the Messiah would be born. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And Jesus is putting into his story hard to miss indications of who he actually is. King of kings and Lord of lords. And that is Palm Sunday. Okay, Palm Sunday, is it about the donkey? No, it's not about the donkey. Is it about the palm branches? No, it's not about the palm branches. Is it about the children that were singing so cutely and sweetly? No, it's not about that. What is Palm Sunday about? Palm Sunday is all about him. Palm Sunday is about Jesus unmistakably fulfilling the direct prophecy of the Old Testament. And saying to Israel, This is who I am. I am the king whose reign shall stretch from shore to shore forever. Now, friend, here's the bottom line all those people, or most if not all of them, missed his identity. They missed it. They, they thought he was great, they thought he was important, they thought he was special, but they didn't realize how great and how important, and how special. And I think today there are so many people like that. They admire Jesus, they, they see him as a great moral teacher, uh, they, they know there's something special about him, they might you know, read his words, they might you know, wear a cross around their neck, they, they may practice some religious holidays, they, they know there's something special about Jesus, but they don't realize how special and they don't realize how important, and they don't realize his true identity. And I wonder today if perhaps up to this point in your life, that's been you. That's been you. And lo and behold, we live in a day of circumstances that are incredibly hard, where there are things that are uncertain, where there are people that are asking questions about, you know, who's in charge of all of this and how can, I, how can I know and how can I have hope and perhaps that's you today and your heart's kind of looking and wandering and wondering and you're thinking, boy, I, I need something, I need somebody to put my trust in. How about the one who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to indicate to you who he really is, the king. Will you enthrone him in your heart today by putting your personal faith and trust in him? That's why he came. That's why he rode the donkey. Was that so even these thousands of years later, we might look into his story and realize who he was is, and if you've never realized that, why not put your faith and trust in him? He, this same Jesus died on, on a cross outside of, of Jerusalem, and he said that he was, he was dying for sinners, he was dying for us, and that anybody who believed and trusted in him, he would forgive our sins and give us eternal life, and that message is as true today, and I might add, as needed today as it ever has. And so what about you? Would you put your faith and trust in him today? Would you enthrone him in your heart? He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Is he your king?